Hello and welcome to a scholarly meeting. I'm your host Hazel and today's episode will be somewhat different to what we are accustomed to. As you may have noticed from the title, this episode is dedicated to Dr. Robert Orr. Dr. Orr was incredibly influential in building up the ethics scene here at Loma Linda and in training and recruiting many of the great minds and incredible leaders that we have had the privilege of working with and learning from and his impact on this department and every one of us represented here today cannot be overstated. Unfortunately, Dr. Orr passed away recently, and thus we are dedicating this episode to reflecting on the far-reaching and long-lasting impact he has had on all of us and the legacy that he leaves behind. With me today, I have Dr. Winslow, the director of the Center for Christian Bioethics, who is a prolific and influential bioethicist, as well as a leader in many spheres at Loma Linda and beyond. I also have Dr. Grace Wee. She's former director of clinical ethics for Loma Linda University, assistant professor of pediatrics in the School of Medicine, as well as a practicing pediatric intensivist and clinical ethics consultant. And last but absolutely not least, we have Dr. Gina Moore, who serves as director for Center for Palliative Care. She is also chair of the Ethics Committee at Loma Linda and an assistant professor of family medicine. Shortly before Dr. Orr passed, I was able to record a very brief conversation with him, and you will hear brief snippets of that conversation throughout this episode. It is our hope that this podcast serves as an opportunity for us to remember and celebrate Dr. Robert Orr and the beautiful legacy that he leaves behind. Dr. Winslow, I will hand over the conversation to you. Thank you, Hazel. Um, Let me take a few minutes to explain why we asked Dr. Orr to come here to Loma Linda University in the first place. Uh, Just a little bit of history. In 1983, the university approved the establishment of a center for ethics that we call the Center for Christian Bioethics. And that started its operation in 1984. Uh, And it went well as a kind of academic center for theologians and philosophers. But by the mid 1980s, a little little, two or three years after the uh, center had started, the people in charge of the medical center were feeling a more and more need to have more presence of ethics in the clinical setting. Uh, The center was established initially by a physician uh, Dr. Jack W. Provancha, who was, uh, had a PhD in philosophy and an MD. And at that time, he unified in his person the theological and theoretical part of ethics with clinical emphasis. But when he left and retired fully, we didn't have that clin- same clinical connection. So it was felt that we needed to find somebody to do that. And about the same time, Dr. Robert Orr had just finished a fellowship in ethics at the McLean Center at the University of Chicago. He had been a family physician in Vermont, in fact, not just any family physician. He was elected in the uh, 1980s the Family Physician uh, of the State of Vermont uh, Outstanding Family Physician Award. So he was noteworthy in his physician's practice as a family doctor in Vermont, but after about 20 years of having that practice, he had become more and more interested in ethics. So he went to uh, a fellowship at the 
University of Chicago in what's known as the McLean Center, which had started just about the same time as our ethics center. The McLean Center under the direction of Mark Siegler and their Dr. Orr went through a year-long fellowship to prepare for leadership in clinical ethics. Uh, his college roommate was the head of our uh, our orthopedics department. Uh, they had gone to college together, and Dr. Bunnell, the chairman of the orthopedics department, said, I know just the right person to bring to Loma Linda for, in clinical ethics. It's my old college roommate. And so he helped to introduce Dr. Orr to the leaders in the medical center. And uh, Dr. Orr was given an invitation to join us. Um, after I started the ethics committee, um, I became involved in um, online discussions and I learned about a fellowship, a one-year fellowship training in clinical ethics at the University of Chicago. And so I applied for that and was awarded a fellowship, moved to Chicago for a year, studied ethics there, and then began to look for a position where I could do ethics consultation and teach ethics. And uh, Loma Linda was, was ready for that. In medical school, the very first, um, one of the very first courses I had was embryology. And it was taught by a big, tall Dutch embryologist named Jan Langman. And I remember him saying, the lady doesn't even know she's pregnant yet and the baby is moving inside her. And that was just a very impressive moment for me. And then about two years later, um, an introduction to obstetrics, another very tall um, obstetrician said, doctor, it was, it was politically correct to call medical students doctors then, it's not now. But he said, doctor, um, do not forget, when you have a pregnant woman sitting in your examining room, you have two patients, and it's your responsibility to do the best you can for both of them. And um, so I realized that this was a, uh, a major, major uh, precept in the practice of medicine. And then fast forward, oh, nearly 10 years, um, I was walking down the hall in the uh, small rural hospital where I practiced in Southern Vermont. And the president of the medical staff stopped me and said, so Bob, are you gonna do abortions? I said, what? He said, well, the Supreme Court just just reversed all legislation against abortion. And you have operating room privileges to do DNCs. So therefore you are qualified to do abortions. And I said, John, don't be crazy. I will not do an abortion. That's a human life. And then um, probably the next step was several years later, um, I went to New York City to see the premiere showing of a film series done by C. Everett Koop and Francis Schaeffer called Whatever Happened to the Human Race. And it was primarily about abortion and infanticide and euthanasia. 
It was a series of five films, and they were prepared for churches. Um, and I realized that small churches in Vermont and northern New England were not going to even be able to afford the rental price. So I purchased a set of the films, and I showed them. Um, I've lost track. I think in two or three hundred different churches in northern New England, and many of those I went personally and held a discussion with the people about these issues. And initially, during the discussions, I was able to convince people that the fetus was genetically unique and was different from the mother. Um, and then things changed. I began to realize this was not about genetics. This was about worldview because people began to say, "Okay, I agree that the, the fetus is genetically distinct, but the mother's、uh, right to privacy is more important than the right to life." And then the discussion shifted, and that's sort of been my pilgrimage. The initial idea on the part of the people in the medical center was, "We'll have two ethics centers. We'll have that,、uh, <laughs> if I dare say it this way, where those intellectual eggheads in their ivory tower they can do ethics however they want over there in,、uh, in, in the academy, in the university. But we'll have a, a, a center for clinical ethics here." It's interesting to note that the McLean Center is called the McLean Center for Clinical Medical Ethics. So、uh, Dr. Orr was going to bring that emphasis, and we'd have two ethics centers. Well, Dr. By this time, Dr. Barons, a pediatrician, had become our chief executive officer, and、um, she didn't want two ethics centers. She made it very clear we were going to have one ethics center. And it was going to be up to us to figure out how to unify the theological side of ethics with its philosophical slant and emphasis, and the clinical world. And so, Dr. Brian Bull, who was by then dean of the School of Medicine, was charged with the responsibility of putting those two centers together as one center. And what emerged was that、uh, we would have a theological co-director. And we would have a clinical co-director, and Dr. Orr became the clinical co-director for a unified center for Christian bioethics. I tell all of that story because I think one of the great strengths that Dr. Orr brought to us was that strong connection to the clinical side, which、um, didn't start exactly that way, but it became that way under his leadership from 1990 until the year 2000.、Uh, for a decade, he was here leading.、Um, The clinical aspects of our of our ethics enterprise here at Loma Linda, as the co-director of the center and also as the director of clinical ethics for our hospitals,、um, the the service grew. He had a, a colleague, almost like an understudy, Dr. Dennis DeLeon, who joined him,、uh, and there was great demand for their services during that time.、Uh, we followed a pattern that Dr. Orr had brought to us from. From the McLean Center and Dr. Siegler, a, a pattern that involved individual clinical ethicists going to the bedside and providing case consultation, but then、uh, having weekly case conferences in which we discuss.
current cases. That, that was all a pattern that Dr. Orr brought to us from his work uh, in Chicago. And uh, we also ran programming rather regularly. We had uh, ethics grand rounds uh, as often as once a month in those years. Well, after a decade, Dr. Orr decided he would like to go back to his home state of Vermont. Uh, and he had, uh, as I recall, two or three of his children lived there. I, I think his wife felt a certain homesickness for beautiful New England, as one might imagine. And so he went back to Burlington, uh, Vermont, where he served as an eth ethicist in, um, in a health system there in Burlington and also taught there at the university. Uh, well, that, that's as much as the story as I'll tell for right now, because uh, there are two people, uh, my colleagues here, who experienced Dr. Orr's service back in those years and have their own way of expressing their gratitude. But I, I'm so pleased, Hazel, you've given us this chance today to say some words of uh, gratefulness for the service of Dr. Orr. And uh, I think the next one who's going to, to share a few thoughts is Dr. Gina Moore. And you've already introduced her, but since I've known Dr. Moore for many years, let me just say that Dr. Moore is the head of our palliative care service. She is uh, also an understudy of Dr. Orr's, and she did for a significant period of time lead the clinical ethics service here after uh, Dr. Orr left us. So Dr. Moore, your turn. Thanks, Dr. Winslow. Um, yeah, I am one of those fortunate people who got to study under Dr. Orr. And I think, um, you know, when you're with someone, um, it, it maybe is sometimes you, you have blinders on to know exactly um, what you're getting at the time. And it's not until later that you reflect and you realize the the privilege that you've had. Um, so I was a family medicine resident here at Loma Linda, and before that I also did medical school here, and Bob was here, and I did um, an elective in clinical ethics under him, and Dennis DeLeon was here at the time. And um, that was long before I really even knew what clinical ethics was, but they gave me a taste of that, and I got very interested in it. Um, and as I went through my residency, um, Bob was one of our core faculty. He chiefed us in the um, in our clinic there, um, and um, and as you mentioned, had been um, family doc of the year at uh, in Vermont, and um, brought all of his skills um, with him here. I remember one very a very poignant um, uh, a con noon conference that he did um, for us with another faculty physician, and it was on being sued. And I think it was probably the one and only time in his career that he had gotten sued, but he shared that with us. And it was um, actually nothing that he had done wrong. As many physicians know, you could be sued for um, no reason whatsoever. Um, but he talked about the, the significant effect that that had had on him and how um, you know it had been just this overwhelming, all-consuming thing that was very drawn out over a long period of time and kind of took his full attention. And I don't even remember the facts of that, but I do remember him saying, um, you know, one day after the suit was kind of settled, um, um, a patient of his in clinic um, said, um, said, welcome back, Dr. Orr. And he said, well, what do you mean? I haven't been anywhere. And they said, oh, yes, you, you have been, because um, he was he had been so distracted. Um, but he shared, you know, even before we now have what's called short rounds, I think that was kind of his, 
his own early shorts rounds, um, being vulnerable and sharing with us um, the pain that sometimes being a physician can be. Um, and, and I think he really um, brought that, I think, to the fore. Um, so I, I appreciated his teaching, but I think even, even uh, more so, you know, I was, as a resident, um, I think I got, I, I don't know what you might want to call it. You can call it burnout. You can call it depression. You can call it whatever you want. Um, but I got to the point where I thought, I don't know that medicine is for me, and maybe it's time for me to look at other, other avenues um, to pursue. Um, and, and Bob was so supportive um, and so present for me during that time. And he said, you know, Gina, if you like ethics, if you're at all interested in that, you should think about this new field of medicine called palliative medicine, because there's a nice overlap between ethics and palliative care, and I think you might be, I think you might be good at that. And so, of course, I started looking into that area and fell in love with it and have never looked back. Um, so I really owe him uh, um, a huge um, debt of gratitude for helping me find, um, I think, kind of my place in life. You, you know, Mark Twain said there's, there's really two important days in your life. Um, uh, one is the day you're born, and the second is the day you find out why. Um, so I, I appreciated that. Um, so when, when Bob came back, um, you know, I, I think I had become the chair of ethics um, even before he came back. But after he came back, he then um, wanted me to take the role of, of the director of clinical ethics. And I said, no way, I am not ready for that. And he said, well, you know, you can continue to work with me for, for a while. And so I did that until I, I gained the confidence and, and, um, and um what I thought was at least some minimum competence to be able to take that position, and, and I did so. Um, so Bob has played a, a really important role in my life, and I'm, I'm so grateful um, to, to have him be a part of my life. And I think now I'll turn the time over to Grace. Yeah, thank you so much um, for the both of you. I love listening to the stories um, about uh, about Bob. and. You know, he was first of all Dr. Orr to me. Um, I and I just wanted to give you, you know, a, a quick sketch of where I was. Um, I was a first-year medical student, and you know, even though I was, I was grateful for the opportunity to study medicine. I was questioning whether, as a first-year medical student, whether this was actually the field for me. And you know, Gina, to give you credit, you were in residency and actually were practicing medicine. You know, before. Um, but I, man, I don't know. I call this my, uh, I don't even know whether this was, I wasn't even at quarter life yet. So this was my, you know, one fifth life crisis or something like that. Um, but I remember that I, I had gone to a shadowing experience um, where I was uh, supposed to um, spend an afternoon following a, a family physician doctor um, in Ukaipa. So I did that. And it was, 
it just was not the the type of experience that I remember looking that I, I thought medicine would be. So I was pretty disillusioned. And then uh, maybe a few weeks later, there was uh, we had our presentations for summer research or opportunity for summer research. So that summer between first and second year, typically what happens is that if medical students want to do summer research, then they have. Um, People who are actively doing research will come in um, and say, "Hey, you can work on this project," and you know, and and just uh, point out a bunch of opportunities. So Dr. Orr presented and offered to do, um, an opportunity to do summer research in ethics, and I was so intrigued by that that um, I remember running out after him um, after the presentation and say, "Oh, Dr. Orr, you know, let me introduce myself. I I would really love to work with you." And I, um, I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to work with them that that summer. So what I did was basically um, summarize um, ethical issues for a website, and you know none of that work actually ever survived. But um, what what did survive though was um, the impact that Dr. Orr had on my life. Um, you know he he was a gentle person, um, but I don't. Uh, he he was very present, um, and when I say gentle, um, he was also at the same time very firm in the type of guidance that he gave, especially for somebody like myself. I was a bit unmoored. I was kind of here and there, but he was kind of this um, this anchor, you know, and um, he was there, and you could hold on to this anchor, and then he would gently give advice and guidance. And this is where I learned um, the importance of being present, um, the importance of listening in medicine. Um, through our conversations, um, I was I glimpsed, uh, you know, human sorrow, um, and and I I really saw the connection between suffering and and ethics. And I, I would really say it was a transformative summer. And I, I saw a way for me to find a place for myself in medicine. I think that is, looking back, that that's really um, the gift that he gave me. And so he encouraged me to, uh, to, if I was interested in ethics, to pursue the bioethics degree. And so I was pretty enthusiastic about doing that. And then he up and left and went back to Vermont. <laughs> uh, but um, not to worry. I. I did do a, a bioethics degree, um, and I remember I took my um, my philosophy of religion class with Dr. Winslow, <laughs> um, and um, and then I graduated from medical school. Uh, I was I finished residency, and then I remember walking down the hallway to the cafeteria one day. I was I think I, I was probably a chief resident, or just about going into Pete's critical care fellowship. And um, I saw Dr. Uh, Dr. Orr and Dr. Winslow walking down the hall, and it turns out that um, there was this new clinical ethics fellowship that was being formed, and and um, I just think it was very serendipitous, um, God's guidance. Um, something placed me there at the right place at the right time, um, and I was just so thrilled to be part of um, this ethics training program. Um, and that meant that, remember, Gina, we had lots of reading. <laughs> and every uh, every couple of weeks, we had just this one-on-one -on -one time with Dr. Orr and just talking about issues, going through the readings, taking call, and being mentored by him as we were doing clinical ethics consults. And again, in that same gentle but firm way, and um, he just 
you know, he set such an example um, and he, you know, you could just see in the way that he interacted with, with patients that he was, he, he validated the concerns and their pain. People felt safe to express themselves in his presence. Um, and he really just, I think, practiced medicine, um, whole person care and medicine in a way that is just exemplary of, of what the ideals of what we hold up here um, at, at Loma Linda. So that was, um, that was just the beginning, um, when I'm proud to say the beginning of, of working more closely with him. Um, and um, yeah, I, I really do. I, I owe him a lot. I owe him uh, the fact that I'm probably still in medical school is directly because of the summer that I spent with him. Thank you, Grace, and thank you, Gina, for sharing. Uh, it's actually very heartwarming to remember so many good times with Dr. Orr here. I think it was one of those situations uh, during the 1990s and leading up to 2000, where he grew in his stature here gradually at Loma Linda. And as often happens, I think, with us, uh, we notice the treasure we have after it's gone. So when, when Dr. Orr left and went back to Vermont, suddenly the, the glue that held together the clinical side with the academic side of things wasn't there in the same way anymore. And we began to feel that. And uh, you, you, Dr. Moore, and, and, and you, Dr. We hadn't really come into authority yet, so we were struggling to find what the next steps were going to be. During that time when Dr. Orr was here with us in the 19, just by way, in the 1990s, just by way of example, he had become one of the key founders and eventually the president of the Society for Clinical Bioethics. That society doesn't exist anymore, but uh, it was started by Dr. Orr and others, and he was the president. And that, along with the American Bioethics uh, Association and the Society for Health and Human Values, went together, those three organizations, in what, as such things uh, occur, might be thought of as a miracle. When have you ever seen three uh, established organizations merge? But they merged together to form the American Society for Bioethics and the Humanities. And that required some real collaborative leadership. And Dr. Orr was a key leader in that uh, back in the 1990s. Also during that time, uh, he began to publish more and more. And you're probably aware of the fact that he's responsible either for editing or writing six books and many, many book chapters. So he grew as a publishing scholar while he was here at Loma Linda and became much more nationally known so that by 1999, uh, the year before he left, he was um, awarded the Hayes Bell Award for Leadership in Ethics and Professionalism by the American Medical Association, a very prestigious national award uh, in, uh, that he was given in 1999. So that gives you some sense, I think, of, of what had happened during the decade that he was here with us as his reputation grew nationally and as the service became more and more appreciated here at Loma Linda. We all have our stories to tell. Uh, back in the 1990s, um, every Wednesday morning at seven o'clock, I met with the two core directors 
I remember I would have a bear claw. <laughs> they would have whatever they were going to eat. <clears throat> and we would meet together and plan the work of the, of the Ethics Center. I was the chair of the board at that time. And the, the two co-directors um, eventually came to appreciate each other's uh, professionalism and, and collegiality. But of course, it wasn't exactly either of the, their plans to, to form uh, that kind of arrangement out of the starting gate. So it, it emerged over time. And I would say that by the time we got to the end of that decade, uh, we had all become very good friends. And I had many great experiences with Dr. Orr, going skiing together, going to plays. I remember going to a C.S. Lewis play one time together with Dr. Orr. And we became um, more like spiritual brothers, really, than just colleagues. Uh, we connected at that deeper level. So we really missed him after he left and then began to realize more and more how uh, it, it wasn't easy to replace that kind of service. So finally, at a, a meeting of the American Society of Bioethics and the Humanities, where Dr. Orr was present, <clears throat> I got the courage to ask him if he would ever consider coming back to Loma Linda for a very different task. This was um, in the mid-2000s, probably around 2005 or six, somewhere in that time period. And um, to my surprise, he said, the fact is that they had missed Southern California. They missed Loma Linda. And if you think about Vermont, it's really beautiful there in the fall and no doubt in spring and summer. But there are a few months in the middle of winter when it may not be quite uh, your choice. So uh, coming to Southern California for at least part of a year struck Dr. Orr as maybe a good idea. And by this time, his wife, Joyce, had decided that Southern California had its advantages too. So uh, what we agreed on was a very different mission. Uh, by this time, I had a different role in the, in the health system as one of the vice presidents and had charge of <clears throat> the ethics program in the hospitals. And so what, what we agreed is that Dr. Orr would come back and educate uh, and prepare the next leaders in clinical ethics at Loma Linda. And so that's the time that you were just talking about, Grace and Gina, where we started um, what was going to be first a one-year and then a two-year, and eventually it was a kind of a three-year connection where he offered a, a fellowship in clinical ethics and raised up a team of ethicists, and we still benefit from that work to this very day. Uh, our, our leadership today uh, is... Uh, directly related to that or went through, in the case of our current leader for clinical ethics, went through the same program at the McLean Center as Dr. Orr did. So we've, we've perpetuated that tradition from Mark Siegler and his colleagues there at the, at the McLean Center and University of Chicago to this, this day. Um, let me just say too that among the other things, many things that I came to appreciate about working with Dr. Orr is and I said this to him one day, I said, Bob, I think you actually see your work as a kind of ministry. You strike me almost like a chaplain at times, the way you relate to, to all of us. Uh, there's a spiritual dimension. And one of the stories that had come to my mind was, and I don't remember the details at all, but there was um, a family member who was in desperate need and a family member, I think a, a spouse had been present and then had left to, to go home and, and Dr. Orr, discovered that she really needed to know something that he had just found out. And here he was running around Loma Linda, checking the bus stops so he could find that person 
to uh, and actually found her so that he could share with her what she needed to know and uh, and help with a decision that needed to be made. And I thought that's you, nobody can teach you that in ethics school, right? That has to come from somebody's character. And uh, it was that aspect of Dr. Orr's work uh, that I really came to appreciate more and more. Another thing I will say about him is that he's a superb lecturer. Uh, you know, most of what he did here by way of uh, educating the next uh, cohort of clinical ethicists was done in, in person in small groups. And of course, the clinical consultations are done uh, more on a one-on-one -on -one or with small groups of people. But if you put Dr. Orr in front of a group of 100 or 200 or 300 people, he gives a stellar lecture that is well-organized, it's engaging, uh, can sometimes be funny. It's always informative, and it's always exceedingly well-prepared. And uh, I really came to appreciate that. The other thing I'll say is that he's a creative and gifted writer. Uh, I have to admit that writing for me is a lot of hard work. <clears throat> it doesn't come easily. And I asked him one day if it was the same for him, and he, <laughs> I haven't quite gotten over my envy to this very day. He said, uh, no, <laughs> he rather enjoyed it. And if he could have quiet time alone uh, to, just to write, that suited him very nicely. And I, I haven't grown up to that level of maturity in my own writing but I still aspire, and I was inspired by, by that. Um, Dr. Orr was a C.S. Lewis admirer, and he actually went to live in England during a kind of sabbatical to live in the very home that was occupied by C.S. Lewis. Uh, and there he wrote perhaps one of his most um, impressive books. He put, pulled together his book on medical ethics and the faith factor. Uh, which blesses us to this day and is still very much available uh, on Amazon. So if anyone is listening to this podcast, uh, I would recommend that they go to Amazon, look at Robert Orr, find Medical Ethics and the Faith Factor. It's, a, it's an uncommonly useful book filled with scores of cases. I don't, I've never counted how many cases that are very informative with the Dr. Orr's analysis Many of those cases, I would say probably most of them, unfolded here at Loma Linda, although there are cases from elsewhere. And uh, so it's it's uh, a book of special interest to us, those of us in Loma Linda, but I think it has, <clears throat> excuse me, a rather um, universal appeal. Writing the book was really a very important thing to me. Um, I so enjoyed the three months there. Um, I went hoping to get six chapters written and I came home with 12 chapters done um, and the, the book ended up being 15 chapters long um, but it was a very fulfilling part of my professional career I mean it was just wonderful sitting at his desk and saying wow just think of all the things that he has written uh, from this desk and uh, I was really very, very well motivated. And I didn't have any other responsibilities. I mean, my only, my only job there was to write this book. Um, and so I would work for several hours and then go out and walk to the market and, and buy some food with, you know, Joyce and I would go 
Um, and we just had a wonderful time. Go to the, and I committed myself while I was there not to read anything except things written by C.S. Lewis or written about him. So I really immersed myself in his life and thought, and it was just absolutely amazing. One further story. Um, Dr. Orr and I traveled together sometimes, and one trip took us to southern Germany and Austria because we were both giving lectures at a conference uh, at the University of Freiburg in southern Germany in the Black Forest territory. And But before we were to go to give uh, those lectures, we decided we'd have, well, we'd look around, you know. So we went to some interesting places in southern Germany. Um, Garmisch-Partenkirchen, where the Passion Play is done every 10 years, for example. And uh, Mittenwald, where they make the uh, violins and so forth. And Salzburg, Austria, where I had lived for a time. But when we were in Mittenwald, walking around, we heard the church bells ringing. And it was an odd time, because I think it was a Friday morning. And I said, Bob, I don't know what's going on, but I see everybody headed to the church. Maybe there's a concert or something. Why don't we go over and see? So we walked right into the church as if we were just normal members of the community, sat down. <clears throat> and finally, uh, Bob leaned over to me because it was obviously kind of a formal meeting and people were very somber. And he said to me, uh, who is, and I'll have to make up a name, so uh, who is Stefan Schmidt? And I said to him very quietly whispering, I don't know, but he's passed away. Uh, what we had done is we'd wandered into a funeral service, and we were in the middle of a row surrounded by friends and family members that we couldn't get out. So for the next hour and a half, we enjoyed a memorial service in the little southern German town of Mittenwald, and we have laughed about that pretty much every time we ever think of that experience of traveling together. Uh, Bob was a great friend and continues to be, and uh, we had many good experiences, none quite like that. But um, as we were staying in between Garmisch-Partenkirchen and Mittenwald, one last memory. This is what, this is, by the way, this is what senior citizens do when they start thinking they, they, they reminisce, but one, one last story. Um, we, we couldn't find a place to stay, and uh, it was getting dark. And in Germany, they have what they call Zimmerfrei, which is basically our equivalent of a bed and breakfast. And we saw a little sign beside the road that said Zimmerfrei, and we started climbing back up into these foothills of the Alps until we found this house. And sure enough, uh, they had a couple of rooms available. They only had two rooms uh, to, um, to let people stay in, but they were empty that evening. So we stayed there and we wandered down a little path to a small uh, restaurant and had some, I don't remember what we ate, but I remember we had apfelstrudel at the end, apple strudel, I guess we call it, with, um, with whipped cream and went back up to our balcony and looked at the Alps and, and uh, both agreed that life is very precious and that uh, we intended to live it fully and had a good talk about some of the deeper things in life. They're staring at uh, one of the, actually the tallest mountain in the southern German Alps. Um, 
many great memories like that of Dr. Orr, none greater than the connection that we formed uh, spiritually as, as Christian brothers. So just a little reflection on what it was like to be with Dr. Orr, um, quite aside from the professional work we did together. And let me go back to uh, yeah, Gina or Grace, either one of you, to see what, what you might add to these stories. Jerry, it's always hard to follow you. Um, you know, I, I <laughs> and I could, I could listen to you all day talking about uh, you and Bob's adventures. I mean, um, really incredible. So, but you know, I, so in, I finished residency in 99 and Bob was going to help me start our palliative care program in 2000. Um, and when I heard he was leaving, um, I was just absolutely devastated. And I thought, there is no way that this is going to work without him. Um, so kind of put it off a bit um, until the chair of my department said, you know, you need to just you need to just dive right in and get this thing started. So started the palliative care program, um, which was kind of an uphill uh, uphill battle. But but you know, Bob's um, I think Bob's outreach and foundation here that he had laid before he left really helped with that. Um, and then of course, as you mentioned, he came back and. Um, um, what great times we had. I so looked forward to every week our meeting with him, going over the readings. Um, and, you know, Bob had, Bob had very strong opinions about certain things. But the thing that I remember is that, you know, he never lost sight of the humanity. Um, and I remember that, you know, he, you know, one of the big ethical issues is is that of, of the issue of abortion. And he certainly had opinions about that. But he never forgot the person who was then having to deal with a situation that was um, less than ideal and and never forgetting um, the, the, the compassion and um, empathy that was needed in the, those situations. And and it was like that for any any ethical issue you could think of. Um, um, he, he never forgot a, about the person behind that issue. And that's what I've always really, really appreciated um, about Bob. I was just going to piggyback on on that. I, I so agree with that. And, you know, as a very young clinician and, and one that was still in training, um, I, I remember <laughs> uh, sitting around and I kept on saying the phrase, oh, and withdrawal of care. And, you know, Bob, he would lay his hand gently on mine and, and he said, withdrawal of support, we never stop caring. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> um, and uh, I, you know, I wasn't as astute as I should have been. Um, I did it a couple more times. And, and, you know, when I'm saying that he was gentle, but very firm on some of the, on some things, you know, he finally, he, he like really, you know, um, grasped my hand rather firmly. And then he said, very seriously to me, he said, "Withdrawal of support. We never withdraw care." And and um, and I agree. I mean, the words that we use. I think one of the things he taught me was the words that we use. We can never lose sight of the patient in the way that we describe their situations, or in the way that um, that we describe the 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 ethical issues. I mean, um, and Gina, do you remember when he would um, when when one of his pet pieces when we would say bed bound <laughs> and he would say oh was the was a patient strapped down in their bed <laughs> so um i remember that was one of the 
um, one of the phrases, again, he, he just thought that these are phrases that we used in medicine that dehumanized the patient. And um, so I, I totally agree. He never lost sight of the patient as a person and the struggle and the suffering and their humanity. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was really grateful that I got to go back and um, see him back in um, September, October of 2019. Um, my husband and I took a trip back to Vermont to see the, the leaves changing and got to visit um, Bob and Joyce at that time. And we had such a such a lovely visit with them. Um, but, you know, he always talked about his, his love of Vermont and um, but but that it was important that you avoided the muddy season, which was basically November through April. Um, so any other time you could come, but not then. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, he he has left a, uh, just an incredible um, legacy here at Loma Linda. All the people that he has um, taught and mentored, and I'm just so grateful that um, that I got that that experience and and that. Uh, that privilege of, of working with him and learning from him. Absolutely. You know, I, I do want to say that I think um, Dr. Orr gave me a piece of advice that is probably one of the best pieces of advice. It has helped me throughout my life, and I freely give it to all of the people I come in contact with. And actually, Gina, in a previous meeting, just to this, <laughs> you actually um, mentioned it. And um, but I remember the first time he, uh, you know, we were discussing a, a difficult case and, and he said, he said that communication is what is heard. It's not what is said. And um, just so profound. And again, helping me to understand that it's not about me, right? Clinical ethics isn't about me. Isn't about me trying to solve a situation that other people can't solve. It's really about the patient and it's about um, making sure that the focus is where it needs to be. Communication is what is heard, not what is said. So uh, sound advice, I think for life, marriage, parenting. 31 years since Dr. Orr came to us initially to help us develop our clinical ethics program at Loma Linda. And I must say that 31 years on, I can see at every turn in our program the effects of his leadership, the influence that he's had. And it lives on, Dr. Moore, in you, Dr. Wee, in you, in your leadership. And it is going to live on now in Hazel Azirabi as she becomes a physician ethicist Hazel, we appreciate your taking time to organize this podcast. We do count on you to carry the torch forward. It's not a torch exactly that you lit, but don't let it go out during your time. Let it burn more brightly because uh, you've been part of our team here. Understanding the importance of bringing together careful thinking about the foundations of our ethical convictions and then making those come to life in the clinical setting. At our best, that's what we do uh, here every day. So thank you, Hazel. Thank you for organizing this. Over to you. Thank you, Dr. Winslow, and thank you, Dr. Wee and Dr. Moore. Um, this has been just an amazing time, just getting to reflect on the life of Dr. Orr and his contributions to 
um, the department here at Loma Linda and I'm very honored to be able to continue with that and to carry that torch forward. Um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode and we hope you will we hope you enjoyed it and that you'll join us for our next episode of a scholarly meeting. Thank you.